This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Billions pouring out of China as global investors lose confidence. A whopping $3.1 billion gone within five days. But what shaken investors' confidence, especially amid China's promises of opening up post-pandemic? This comes as tensions between the U.S. and China remain high, from Taiwan to TikTok to semiconductors. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. $3.1 billion. That's how much money global investors took out of China in a mere five days. That's according to U.S.-based financial consultant firm Exante Data. It marks the longest outflow of funds since November. What's shaken investors' confidence? Head of research and analysis at Exante tells the Wall Street Journal it stems from the continued tensions between the U.S. and China and that the data suggests the economic reopening is largely over. Bloomberg analysts noting geopolitical tensions ranging from issues on Taiwan to TikTok to semiconductor chips. As for how that translates to the stock market, U.S.-listed Chinese stocks lost over $100 billion in market value in April. Companies ranging from Alibaba to JD.com are down, sending the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index toward its longest streak of losses in more than a year, with the benchmark now heading towards its worst month since October. And it goes beyond stocks listed in New York. Bloomberg noting the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, which tracks Chinese stocks in Hong Kong, ranks as the third worst performer in the past three months. That's among 92 stock benchmarks Bloomberg tracks. This comes on the heels of post-pandemic hopes for opening up, along with the Chinese regime telling global investors that China's back open for business. At the same time, China has tightened up its espionage law, ratcheting up pressure on foreign firms. The White House previously cautioned about the risks of traveling to China, citing wrongful detentions and possible exit bans. Now, a new Chinese law has multiplied those concerns. The regime has widened the scope of its already sweeping anti-espionage law, but didn't outline where the boundary is between espionage and normal information collection for doing business. Here's a closer look. Last week, U.S. consulting giant Bain & Company said Chinese police questioned staff in its Shanghai company. That's one month after another U.S. firm, Mintz, saw a similar incident. The company's Beijing office was raided and shut down, with five employees detained at the time. All of them are Chinese nationals. Chinese authorities accused the due diligence firm of illegal information gathering. And because of some recent changes, these incidents may soon become a trend. Beijing's rubber-stamp parliament passed new amendments last Wednesday. A Chinese affairs commentator says the changes broadens the country's definition of espionage. There are no clear boundaries. Some things are in the gray zone. You can either classify it as espionage or not. If China says it is, then it is. They don't need evidence to classify it as such. Beijing can now swoop in on everything it deems related to national security and interests. Authorities have greater powers to search and seize, and to impose bans on border crossings. Worth noting, the law doesn't specify what's covered under Chinese national security. The revised rule is set to take effect in July. 
Lai says it may put foreign entities and individuals inside China on high alert. That's as tensions soar between Beijing and Washington. The revising of the law clearly shows that the Chinese Communist Party is stepping up its autocratic rule. It's doing everything possible to build up the CCP's autocratic regime into an iron barrel, an autocratic fortress. U.S. allies are also being targeted. Last month, an executive at Japanese drugmaker Astellas Pharma was arrested for alleged espionage. He became the 17th Japanese citizen to be held in China on that charge. Security analyst and former Japanese defense official Yoshiaka Yano weighed in on this case. Astellas is a pharmaceutical company, so the man arrested may have access to information related to COVID-19, genetic data, or organ transplants. For those who obtained intelligence they aren't supposed to have, the CCP would arrest them on espionage charges and hold them for a lengthy term. That's to keep the intel from leaking. Yoshiaki said Beijing might also use what he called hostage diplomacy to coerce Tokyo into handing over benefits. But he also added that the tactic would likely backfire. The CCP's abuse of espionage will make Japanese companies more vigilant and speed up their exit from the Chinese market. Meanwhile, to maintain a reciprocal diplomatic relationship, the Japanese government will strengthen its military forces and up its deterrence against the CCP. More on the CCP's records of hostage diplomacy. In 2018, following Canada's arrest of Huawei's executive Meng Wanzhou, Beijing detained two Canadians to pressure Vancouver into releasing Meng. Over in Australia, the country called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19 in 2020. China retaliated by arresting Australian TV host Cheng Lei and writer Yang Hengjun, both on espionage charges. The Chinese Communist Party expects this year's economic growth to reach around 5%, but to hit that mark, China needs foreign investment. That begs the question, why are Beijing officials seemingly encouraging just the opposite, making moves that scare off overseas businesses? John Pelson, author of Wireless War, says it's related to how Chinese leaders can't be fired or voted out. When you can't be fired, it's kind of hard to uh, expect them to behave in a way that's uh, sensitive to market needs and investor needs. Pelson also points out that the money leaving China through legal avenues is only one part of the big picture. Large sums are also exiting the country through money laundering. He outlines one such scenario. But uh, one of the more uh, intriguing methods I heard about is the, uh, the, the casino technique where you go into Macau, you lose a million dollars gambling, you show up in Vancouver or some Western casino, and you make a million dollars in gambling. And with the right connections between those casinos, you've laundered your money out of the country. The full scale of China's black market remains unknown. Chinese companies are buying up U.S. land, some of it located nearby American military bases. Experts say it could pose a threat to national security. Now, one U.S. state is fighting back. A new Texas bill would ban farmland purchases for citizens of hostile foreign nations. And the state Senate already greenlit the measure. Here are the details. The bill targets countries officially listed as a national threat for three years in a row. That currently includes China, Russia, Iran and North Korea. 
permanent residents and dual citizens still would be allowed to buy land under the bill, though. The measure specifies that only land where foreign ownership would pose a threat is off-limits. That means agriculture, oil, timber and mineral-bearing areas. Other states have proposed laws to stop hostile foreign governments from purchasing U.S. land. Those include North Carolina and Florida. At the national level, Senator Tom Cotton introduced a bill last month on the topic. It would ban Chinese citizens from purchasing farmland and real estate in the U.S. with some exceptions. Worth noting, permanent residents and dual citizens would still be allowed to buy U.S. land under the bill. It remains to be seen if this could present a loophole for the Chinese Communist Party. Next, an update on what's happening with TikTok. The Biden administration is unveiling new efforts to secure American data. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo told a Senate hearing that her department is in the process of hiring dozens of people. That's to look for any companies that may pose undue security risk to U.S. networks or data. Concerns about Chinese-owned TikTok have sparked new efforts in Congress. A potential ban on the app is also under consideration to address growing national security concerns. Raimondo said the department has been active in addressing threats from China, saying she's put over 200 Chinese companies on the entity list in her tenure. She also noted the department is actively investigating companies and that any seen as threats will get blacklisted. China's Confucius Institutes once again back in the spotlight. Indiana Congress member Jim Banks recently wrote a letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin questioning the DOD's plan to let universities that are tied to Confucius Institutes receive federal funding. He demanded that the DOD revise what he called the inadequate guidance, saying that the Beijing-backed institutions play the role of a Communist Party agent. The Defense Department announced the plan back in late March, granting waivers to enable schools to host the Confucius Institutes on campus. The institution was launched by China's Education Ministry in 2004. Despite framing itself as a cultural learning center, it often faces criticism for peddling the Chinese regime's agenda overseas and stealing foreign intellectual properties. A China's ex-propaganda chief openly stated that the Confucius Institute serves as an important part of the CCP's external propaganda structure. In 2021, the U.S. Senate proposed a bill to prevent schools hosting the institution from receiving federal funding. Over the last few years, most of its chapters at U.S. universities have been shut down, with a few currently operating. A horrific human rights crime set in communist China. A public film screening in Delaware is raising awareness about forced organ harvesting. Doctors and students who saw the documentary said they were shocked to learn about the abuse. Here's the story. The documentary Medical Genocide exposes the Chinese communist regime's practice of forced organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience. Those who saw the movie Wednesday at the University of Delaware told NTD how they felt. The horrors are just unimaginable, unexplainable. Uh, as the speakers rightly said, awareness is key. We've got to spread the word of what's going on. It's been too long, what, 23 years? I felt like it's a very, a topic that I wasn't aware about that needed to be discussed more. It was very informational. And I feel like it should be taught more like in classes and stuff like that. Like when I had a, like I had a class that I talk about conservative topics in the world and everything, and they never mentioned this inside the class or nothing like that. 
For roughly two decades, the Chinese regime has been forcibly extracting organs from living prisoners of conscience, mainly Falun Gong practitioners, to sell for profit. This has been corroborated by experts, witness testimony, and independent panels. Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, is a spiritual meditation practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. The Chinese Communist Party has run a brutal persecution campaign against practitioners since 1999. Millions of adherents have been detained, and an unknown number have died from slave labor, torture, and other abuses. It's very moving. I didn't realize the scale of the problem. I didn't realize that there were that many people at risk. And I also didn't realize how, um, how bad it is and how the American companies and European companies are so intertwined in this trade. And it's basically being sanctioned by every government and business globally. The documentary highlighted that China's transplant industry profits from people around the globe who travel to China for on-demand transplants. Those who attended the event say Americans can take action to raise awareness on this issue and help stop the abuse. I really believe that there are actions the U.S. can be taking that can make a difference. And it, it's going to be multifaceted. I think there should be no reason why we can't pursue angles such as with the legislation that was discussed, but also through insurance companies and insur you know, through awareness of different companies that are um, benefiting and supporting you know, this uh, atrocity uh, against humanity. Last month, the U.S. House overwhelmingly passed a bill to punish communist China for forced organ harvesting. It would sanction anyone involved in the act and requires annual government reporting on such activities taking place in foreign countries. It's the first non-symbolic bill passed in the U.S. that counters the atrocity. Beijing is sending a senior diplomat to Europe, and he's tasked with leading negotiations between Russia and Ukraine. Li Hui is China's special representative for Eurasian affairs. Before that, he served as China's ambassador to Moscow for 10 years, from 2009 through 2019. He's also one of few foreign holders of the Medal of Friendship, awarded by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, he's taking up a new post, Beijing's special representative to the Ukraine conflict. That's as Beijing works to bill itself as a neutral power broker, despite concerns and skepticism from the West. Ultimately, China is looking to negotiate a ceasefire and end the year-long war. To do that, here's what each side wants. Ukraine wants its territory fully restored, including Russian annexed Crimea, plus financial compensation for war damages and for war criminals to face retribution. On the other hand, Russian authorities have listed demands like Ukraine being fully demilitarized and blocked from NATO membership. That's on top of keeping territories Moscow already annexed. Li is expected to visit several nations in Europe. The goal to ease fears over Beijing's diplomatic loyalty and its self-reclaimed no-limits partnership with Russia. To date, China has avoided referring to the Ukraine conflict as an invasion. An aggressive maneuver in the South China Sea. Officials say a Chinese Coast Guard ship blocked a Philippine patrol vessel, causing a near collision. The White House put out a statement in support of the Philippines. Let's zoom in on what happened. 
It was the latest act of Beijing's aggression in one of the world's most hotly contested waterways. The Philippine patrol vessels had received radio warnings, ordering them to immediately leave what the Chinese Coast Guard claimed are Beijing's undisputable territories. Washington condemned the maneuver. The State Department said an armed attack in the Pacific would invoke a response under the U.S.-Philippines Defense Treaty. China claims ownership of nearly the entire South China Sea, though an international court ruled it unlawful. Coming up as Washington zeroes in on the Chinese Communist Party, IDing the difference between the regime and the Chinese people is critical. How can the U.S. handle the CCP while protecting American Chinese? John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, tells us what steps he says we must follow. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. With rising alertness of the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration in Western countries, the appeal is also getting louder and louder not to target Chinese people. Is that racism as some people call it? And where is the boundary between welcoming foreigners coming to the U.S. and protecting Americans from bad actors from other countries? How should this issue be dealt with going forward? We spoke earlier to John Pelson, author of Wireless Wars, about his take. And America does not have a history, at least not in my lifetime, of doing this, is that there's a backlash against everyone of Chinese ethnicity. Uh, you know, you have to go back to uh, what FDR did in World War II, which was un-American in any sense, to round up people of Japanese ethnicity and force them into camps. Uh, there was no rationale. It was unconstitutional. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And so after 9-11, people feared a backlash against uh, Arab Americans or Muslim Americans. Uh, never really happened. Uh, and, and despite rhetoric about it. And so the, the we want to be careful that we don't have something like this happen. We need to be aware, though, that if you're a Chinese national studying in the United States, for example, the CCP is able to put a hand on you through your family. They pay close attention to what you're writing in your papers, what you're saying. Did you show up at a rally? Uh, now God forbid a Chinese national at University of Chicago goes to a free Tibet rally. Uh, he will hear from the government about it one way or the other. And that's an awful thought. Does that mean that we should be suspicious of that Chinese student? No, we should be supportive. Uh, universities do things like they now allow papers to be named anonymously so that uh, if they're writing something politically unliked by the CCP, uh, who manages to get their hands on it, which apparently they do have a way of doing, they can't be traced back to that student and, and have consequences dealt out. So we, we should be helping, uh, but we do need to be aware that uh, China has a presence on, in the continent, in the US, and they're trying to shed influence, whether it's through TikTok or whether it's through uh, uh, these police, so-called police stations that help you get your driver's license renewed. It's a wonderful thought that China is spending this much money to make it a little bit easier for some reason, as if the mail doesn't work. Uh, so I think we need to be uh, vigilant and not let ourselves get hysterical, though. 
And on that note, then, how do we differentiate between the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people? Because often what happens is when anyone's pushing, say, tougher legislation to hold, say, China accountable, people bring up that issue of, oh, we don't want to target the Chinese people. So how do we make that distinction? Yeah, I'd say Americans of Chinese descent are completely, you completely have to look at as uh, they're Americans and that's all that's all that matters. For people that are here that are Chinese citizens, they should be looked at with the scrutiny that any foreign national is looked at in this country, whether it's Chinese or Russian or Korean or French or German, they're, should, they're, they're not entitled to all of the same protections. And while you know, I don't think we should look at everyone with suspicion, and, and that would be a very ugly thing to see happen in this country, uh, we have to be wary and specifically of any country that, as a national policy, sees itself as more than just a competitor, and make sure that um, that what what we're uh, what we're doing keeps us safe, and and we have to do it in a way that keeps the the earnest citizens that are here to learn and work and study in America protects uh, them too, because America's strength comes from this diverse population that wants to come and be part of the American experience. That's where our strength comes from. It's one of our greatest advantages over any country in the world is that we've got the citizens from China and Korea and India and Japan and France and Great Britain that want to come here and be part of this country. And John, any final words you'd like to share? No, I, I think we just have to be alert and know that this is not business as usual. This is not a... Uh, managed competition for, you know, good vigorous competition. That's not what's going on. If the other side sees it as uh, something much more, as even a war, we have to recognize that and keep ourselves safe and, and manage to find ways to protect ourselves in the future against uh, the bad intent that we might see from the CCP. John Pelson, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks, Tiffany. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.